Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 32. Glad you could join us. In this episode, the team sits down with Sister Margaret Mary and Sister Anne of the Marian Sisters of Santa Rosa. We hope that the conversation will inspire you to be open to God's call on your life. As the psalmist says, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We'd especially like to thank the sisters for taking the time to meet with us and the Reverend Mother Teresa Christe for helping us make this conversation happen. Enjoy. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope. Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. And I'm Jordan. After slipping through a thousand cracks, I completed a PhD in history and literature of ancient Christianity at Göttingen University in Germany. Now I teach Greek and Latin at Colby, and serve as the Director of Public and Alumni Relations. We have a special edition of the Colby Castus Vocations Week. We welcome Sister Margaret Mary and Sister Anne Siebert of the Marian Sisters of Santa Rosa to the Colby Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. I've been hearing about you two and in a recent episode of the Colby cast, Mr. Byarski was telling us about visiting with you for some videos that are forthcoming and about the Colby experiences each of you has had. Would you tell us a bit about yourselves? Yes. Well, I'm Sister Margaret Mary, and I have been in the Marian Sisters of Santa Rosa now for over six years. Uh, I am preparing for my perpetual profession, so please, any prayers you can send my way are greatly appreciated. Uh, I grew up here in Santa Rosa, and so a little, just a very brief tidbit of my vocation story, which I'm sure I will share more later, is that uh, the Marian Sisters of Santa Rosa came to our diocese, and that sparked my vocation and really enabled me to follow God's call. And now I find myself here serving the diocese that raised me. And I am Sister Anne, and I'm from Chicago, actually. I just came to the Marian Sisters six months ago. And I grew up in Chicago. I was homeschooled with Colby um, my entire uh, school experience. <laughs> and I grew up at a parish, St. John Cantus, that, that had a great emphasis on the sacred, on sacred liturgy, sacred traditions. And so that really formed part of me. So after I finished college, um, I was looking for communities that also had a sense of, of love for the traditions of the church. And so I found the Marian sisters and <laughs> now I'm here. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm looking forward to hearing about this order. I'm not familiar with your order, so I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it. It's beautiful how it has drawn you in. There sounds like there's so much richness there to learn about. Yes. So you each come from a homeschooling background. Was there a typical day for you homeschooling or not really? Is the typical that there is no typical or was there a commonality to it? 
Well, for me, kind of both. Um, my family was very involved in music. All of us played instruments. And so that alone made our schedules a little bit different than your normal school schedule. Uh, so a typical day for us would involve uh, music, but also prayer and uh, we didn't have a set schedule. My mom tried that for a little while and it just didn't work very well for us. And and we found that that was okay. I mean, st very strict schedules are wonderful for some families and that works very well. For ours, it just didn't very much. <laughs> so we would, uh, so our days were filled with school, just doing school at home. And then also, activities. We were involved with homeschool co-ops, other homeschool groups. So we would go ice skating during the day when most school children wouldn't have been able to. So we had our homeschool session of ice skating or we would have our co-op classes once a week and be together with other homeschooling families. Uh, for uh, That was for most of my homeschooling experience. Once I got to high school, it was even more on my own of doing my work independently with the help of some online classes, not strictly with Colby, but I was able to use those credits for uh, with Colby to get my high school work accredited. And that was very helpful for me in learning self-discipline and organization and learning that my education was my responsibility. Uh, we were able to go to daily mass often during the week, not every day, but fairly often. And as I grew older through my high school years, I started to want that more for myself. And so I remember getting my parents up so that we could go to mass. <laughs> and, and that was really, really helpful for me to deepen my spiritual life. As for me, it's interesting, Sister Margaret Mary, you, you talk about going to daily mass because it, it reminds me of the change. Looking back, I could see the change, the gradual change over the years because we would go to daily mass every morning. And especially when I was younger, um, it, was, it was like, oh, I don't want to get up in the morning. <laughs> but I did notice since we we had a, a, a more strict of a schedule. And so we would go to mass every morning. And later, as I grew and matured, I noticed the difference in myself in, in going to mass. But having those graces every day and being able to have those graces every single morning was such a blessing. But after, after we would go to mass, we'd get home and pretty much get to schoolwork after breakfast. And I did mostly online classes in high school. So it was much of my work was on the home on, on my own. I'm I'm a middle child, so my mom was usually involved with either the oldest or the youngest. <laughs> yeah. um, so I kind of slipped by in the middle. And and then I had we usually had lunch vacation, as we called it, in the middle of the day. <laughs> um, and then in the afternoon we had more schoolwork, and in the evenings we would um, we were all swimmers. So we would go out to to swim practice for about two hours, and <laughs> that was that was our intense workout. And um, and we were also involved with homeschool co-ops. So we would occasionally have little flowers or um, other such little classes or um, groups that we would belong to. 
my daughters were involved in a little flowers group for about a year and it was just charming. I, I really enjoyed it very much and, and I wasn't in a position to lead it. So when that one did not continue, I, I was like, oh, but that was, I'm really grateful for the time they had in the group. One thing that occurs to me immediately is the radiance each of you displays and the joy in each of your faces and in your voices. And I, I know it comes across in the recording and when the videos are available, I know that that will be evident as well when people see your beautiful faces and, and the, the smiles that light up your faces. So it's such a delight already hearing this much so far. <laughs> Thank you. When, when we were recording, Sister Margaret Mary, I remember you mentioning this, what you said just a minute ago about how it was a visit from the Marian sisters or, or them seeing them. How, how was that a draw for you? I, I, I'd like to hear just, I guess, more about how the, the process and what that impact was. How come seeing them and actually like being around them or, or whatever was, was attractive to you? Yes. Well, it stems back from my early years. I would, there was one morning I remember getting up and telling my mom that I was going to be a nun. I was probably about six years old at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> the only nuns that I knew were the poor Claire's from EWTN. And so in my little six-year-old brain, being a nun meant going to Alabama <laughs> to join that community. Because, and this was because we didn't have any sisters in habit here in our diocese. There were sisters here. Um, there were some Ursuline sisters here still teaching in their high school that was here, as well as uh, some sisters. I believe there were Sisters of Mercy who were here. And sometimes I would see them around the parish. But because they were not in habit, I didn't as a child, have an attraction toward them. Like I knew they were sisters, but I didn't understand who they were or that they were the same as the nuns that I knew on EWTN. And so just that the visual of seeing the habit was a great impact on my life, seeing those beautiful nuns on EWTN. We would pray the rosary with the nuns. We would see them when we would watch daily mass on EWTN. And so that that was a big part of, I think, why I wanted to be a, a sister uh, is, is the witness of the habit. When the two founding sisters of the Marian Sisters of Santa Rosa came to the diocese in uh, 2012, they were so beautiful to me. And at this time I was in high school, I had lost the conviction that I was going to be a sister. And I you know, was pursuing other things at the time. But when we went to daily mass, because I was homeschooled and could do that, we saw the sisters there. And watching them pray and seeing their beautiful witness made a profound impact on me. Afterwards, my mom and my sister and I went up to them and asked them who they were, where they were from, and are you staying? And we're delighted to find out that they were. And so we took them out to go get coffee and talk to them for a couple of hours. And it was such a grace. I remember that very well. 
and it's a treasured memory of, of mine. And we shortly after that helped them move into their first convent. And I started to be able to work with them, to be around them and to see their joy, their dedication to our Lord, especially through Mary, was very powerful. Uh, then that really sparked my discernment, as I said at the beginning, that I was able to now see that this life was something that I could actually do. It was possible. It wasn't this far off or long time ago thing that women used to do but don't do anymore or maybe do in a different part of the country but not here in Santa Rosa, California. And I was able to see, no, this is real. And this it, this brings so much joy and happiness. And maybe God is calling me to this. And so through discernment, through a few years of discernment, I realized that, yes, Jesus is calling me to do this, to give my life entirely to him in this religious community. And I'm so happy to very soon make that final commitment. That's exciting. That's a beautiful story. The living out of their vocation as a, a means of drawing you in and helping you discern your own. I think that is something we can all aspire to in whatever state, living our vocations as authentically as we can. And doing so is uh, helps other people discern theirs, whether or not it's the same as the one we're, we're living. What about you, Sister Anne? How were you introduced to the order? I actually, the first time I first encountered the Marian sisters was on Facebook. Um, it's, it's kind of a long story how this appeared on my feed, but my roommate is from California and her former pastor was the chaplain that they have now. And so somehow through this connection, there was a video of the sisters singing polyphony at mass on Sunday at a parish. And, and I was just struck there's sisters. In, in full habit, seeing beautiful sacred music at a parish. Because from where I'm from, um, it was very much a part of my life, um, the sacred liturgy and, and the order. I grew up with the canons regular of St. John Canches. Their charism of restoration of the sacred is very much a part of my spirituality. So when I saw this video of sisters singing polyphony at mass, I was just struck. And so I went through various avenues to look up their name and I found out who they were and and then I started stalking them. <laughs> and I followed their blog. At, at the time I was in college and I knew that was our our Lord wanted me to 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 be there at that time. So I just, you know, for the rest of my college experience, I followed them on their blog. And I found out they knew my my order from back home. <laughs> and they were good friends with them. And so I just followed them and I deepened my prayer life, which really is everything. <laughs> and through discernment and um, nurturing my relationship with our Lord, I, I contacted the sisters after I graduated and I visited. And then I knew our Lord was calling me to come here. So then I came <laughs> and now I'm here. <laughs> I love these stories, how, how it all comes to be and the confidence you had throughout the steps of discernment and, and that you have now that it's inspiring and it's enticing as well. Like how it has all come together. 
How do you think your Colby experience experiences influenced your discernment to the religious life? Well, for me, just the fact that I was homeschooled, what enabled me to spend more time learning about the things that I was interested in, which over the years became the faith. And so I was, I had the ability, the freedom to research those things and really delve deep into the truths of our faith. Through the Great Books program, I did not use the one that Colby provides, although I read all of those books that Colby does provide, (laughs) plus more. Um, I did a different Great Books program, which is a four-year program that follows you through high school, as Colby's does. And uh, that affected the way I was able to think. And to be able to reason and to discern these different truths and see the reason behind them, reading Thomas Aquinas and finding out that there really is a true reason for everything that we believe in, an explanation and an argument against the those who would doubt it. And to learn all of that was very helpful to me in strengthening my Catholic faith. Because of that strength in my Catholic faith, I was then able to go deeper and see God who was behind all of this, the God of all of this truth, and to develop my relationship with him through prayer and uh, receiving the sacraments. I was also blessed to come from the Catholic home that really lived the Catholic faith. So we really lived Lent. You know, we all made resolutions to give something up, to add extra prayer. We did things as a family, but we also did things individually. And that just that small example of how our family lived the Catholic life that went throughout the whole year. And another part of that is because my mom has been a choir director uh, practically all of her adult life. And so I went to all of the choir rehearsals as a little one. And as soon as I was able to sing, I was in the choir. (laughs) And and so I truly lived the liturgical life as well through the sacred music. So all of those factors kind of were possible because I was homeschooled. And because of that, I was able to discern my vocation and follow where our Lord wanted me to go. I was also able to be open to what he wanted because I had that attentiveness to uh, his workings through the church year and also through prayer. What about you, Sister Anne? I, the reading this morning from Lods, um, a reading from St. Paul to the Romans, one of his sentences caught my attention. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you may judge what is God's will, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. And that just struck me. And and I was thinking, yes, that is what we should do. And that is something that education should do. And that, I believe, is something that Colby gave me, something to uh, education, a formation, so that I'm not influenced by lies of the culture or trends, 
but I see the world throughout the centuries and the great thinkers and the lives of so many men and um, the happiness that they pursued and God's providence throughout all of these things. Over years and years and years in my formation at Colby, in my Colby education, that was just something that naturally became ingrained in, in how I think, how I see the world. And throughout all of that, I was formed and I came to, to desire to do the will of God because that is the only thing worth living for. <laughs> and that is the only thing worth anything in this world. And so that had a great influence on what I want to do with my life. After I graduated um, high school and even throughout college, the choices I made. Another thing that was really important with my Colby education was how they were able to sort so organically integrate the truths of Catholicism, the truths of Catholic thinkers, being able to read St. Francis de Sales' Introduction of Devout Life or St. Augustine, um, St. Thomas Aquinas. Those things were, were so important, especially reading them in the context of where they lived and what was going on in history. Um, not just in the context of, oh, this is a really good book from antiquity and you need to read it. <laughs> but, but actually in the context of everything else, history, um, literature, um, philosophy, just the thinking of that time. And, and so that was very influential on me. Um, and it's made me think about it and ponder what is the effect of the choices people make and what happens when someone truly does choose to follow the will of God. And so when I grew older and especially in college, when I started increasing my prayer life um, and, and really growing a more intimate relationship with our Lord. It is subtle, the influence of Colby, but it is very much there because without it, I don't know what I might have been deceived by, what false paths I might have been attracted by and gone down. So just the ability as a St. Paul, the not to be conformed to this age, but transformed by the renewal of my mind. So my mind is able to discern the truth so that I can judge what is God's will and follow it. And, and so I believe my Colby formation has, has been a great help with that. I think that was really excellent. And one of the things that I, I loved hearing when we spoke before in California was how you you were mentioning how it all sort of went together, the whole curriculum. And, and um, that was what both of you have talked about something like that before, where where it's like you can't you see 
you see the connection even of even of uh, different subjects and things like that. And, and I, in my opinion, at a very, very young age that you're doing that as teenagers ahead of time. Um, and what what was that? What what synthesizes it, I guess? Is there a specific lens? Maybe the lens is is um, through your your faith. But what what's the synthesis that connects all these subjects together for you? God, because <laughs> yes. God is God is beauty, truth, and goodness. He is truth. And when you're learning the truth, whatever form it appears, it is truth. And so it is it is a reflection of God. And so you're seeing all these different colors that come out of the prism, and they're all just reflections of his lights. So you see them in different ways, and sometimes you like certain subjects better than others. But <laughs> if it's all the truth, it's all reflections of him. I was going to ask something, because what this passage that you pointed out is, is really, really amazing. This be not conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What is it about? And and so for the listeners that, that can't see you guys, they should. You can see online. You can go to the Marian Sisters of Santa Rosa and see. But the, but there's something um, that I've I've noticed, which is things seem very new but very old at the same time, very ancient but very very new, which is something that we see in the early Augustine in in his. One four, I think he he says that talking about God, saying, saying never new, never old, this sort of thing. But there's something about that, and it, and it makes me feel like, like your lives that you live now are are really otherworldly. Yet you're doing things like teaching, and talking with people like us. I mean, how would you describe that life? Am I off base with? feeling that it, from the outside that's what that's what you look like to me actually you're spot on because that is what our lives are supposed to convey we are supposed to be that reflection of the heavenly life in reality our lives are an anticipation of our heavenly life so we get to start our heaven here below now, we all should do this, and we all do do this when we're in the state of grace. We're, we're participating in that union with God that will only strengthen until it's perfected in heaven. But in a special way, the consecrated life reflects the heavenly life and participates in it in a very special way. So you are right. We are living an otherworldly life. We should come across like that. If we came across as part of this world, we would be, not be living our vocation. We would not be living the way our Lord wants us to. We would not be a reflection of him, of Mary, of the, the virtues, and of the church. We're an image of the church to the world. And if that is not there, we are not living authentic, consecrated life. And so I know that uh, that idea of the ever ancient, ever new it, from St. Augustine, it is so true because it is ever ancient in that we are living a form of life that was started with our Lord and our Lady and St. Joseph in the house of Nazareth. They lived the first religious life and our lives are a continuation of that. 
And so it is ever ancient. And yet it is ever new because we are taking Christ and making him present in the world now. We are making him present in the schools where we teach. Just walking down the street, people see us and they think of God. And so we are making him new to people in that we are living this fully consecrated, dedicated life to him now. In 2021, despite everything and because of everything that's going on in our world, we are making him present. And so, no, you're you are exactly right. It reminds me a little bit. Um, the vestibule of the church, I've heard, was likened to the wardrobe in Narnia. When you enter, you go into a different times. The time works differently. And it's like that because our Lord in the Eucharist is eternity in time. And everything surrounding him reflects that, including in, in a way the, the, the treasures of the liturgy, of, of our, the priest's vestments, of, of the music. And that reflects in religious too, as, as we live so close to him in the Eucharist. Um, I, I've heard it said that that religious age very slowly. <laughs> It's, it can be hard to tell their age, but it's because we're so close to he who's eternal and timeless. And it really does, it really does make a difference. Another addition to that, tying in with the liturgy, is one of the aspects of our charism is to celebrate both forms of the Roman rite. So we have both the extraordinary form, which is the what is called the usus antiquor and the the ancient usage and uh and the novus ordo the new rite and so we combine both of those in the sacredness of the liturgy and so we celebrate both of them in the way the church intends them to be celebrated both beautifully done and truly reverent sacred worship of god and uh, because of that union of both forms you can see even there that ever ancient ever new so we're taking what is ancient but informing it with what is new and taking what is new and informing it with what is ancient and they complement each other and they build each other up and it's beautiful to see that's one of the big things that attracted me to this community because at my home parish saint john Cantus, that's what they do and that's what they're very known for, they have both forms of the mass. And they, on, on a typical Sunday, they'll have a, a Trinity and low mass and an English mass and a, and, and a novus ordo in Latin, and then a, a Trinity and high mass, and they'll have everything. And I grew up in that. Ever since I was a child, I grew up in this atmosphere. And they really do complement each other. And the Novus Ordo is so enriched by that. And, and so it's it's a beautiful thing that I saw in, in the Marian sisters. And that attracted me here is there's the, the sisters have that sense of the unity um, in the church between those two forms. 
and the beauty of the sacredness. And that is not just lost in the new form, but it is still there and it can be nurtured. Um, so <laughs> it, it is very close to my heart also. <laughs> That would be, and that's very fascinating. So the liturgical life makes a, a great deal of your day-to-day. -day. What do your days look like now? Well, they look different for those sisters in the apostolate, in the active apostolate, and those sisters still in formation. So uh, Sister Anne, go ahead, and she'll tell you about what our schedule is uh, for those sisters who are still in formation. So they're still learning how to be a sister and learning the life. And, uh, and then I'll share what has to differ about the apostolate. So we rise at 5 a.m. by a bell. The bell is the voice of our beloved of Jesus. And then we have holy hour. We actually are blessed to be able to have holy hour with Eucharistic exposition. And during that holy hour, we'll spend a half hour in meditation. And then the rest of it, we'll, we'll get to chant laws together and after this we'll have holy mass um, depending on the day sometimes we have the sung mass we'll have mass in both ordinary and extraordinary form um, i'm an organist so sometimes i play the organ um, and then after mass we'll have breakfast together as a community and then as i'm in formation the, the House of Formation will say the rosary together, sometimes on rosary walks and sometimes in the chapel. And then after that, we'll go to our daily duties. So in formation, you, you switch your daily duties occasionally so that you have been trained in, in, in different aspects. So currently, I just became a sister assistant sacristan, which is very exciting. So I get to help take care of our Lord's linens and the altar and prepare for mass and purify the linens and keep everything clean um, for Jesus in the chapel. So I am very much enjoying and loving it so far. And so we have our daily duties. And then at 11.45, we get to chant midday prayer together. And we also have a daily exam at that time. And then we go to lunch. And then after lunch, we have an hour of personal time, free time, <laughs> where we could, uh, you know, work on reading or sometimes I'll practice the organ during that time, you know, something that you want to take care of or um, if you just need some time to pray or um, whatever you need to spend it. In. And then at two o'clock, often we'll have a type of formation class. So today, actually, we had our catechism class at two o'clock. And then after that, we'll resume daily duties until 4.15 when we have recreation and the whole community is back at this time. So it's it's a great joy to be with our sisters at this time. There's lots of laughter and smiles and <laughs> and sometimes we do different things. Sometimes we have arts and crafts or sometimes we go out and play wiffle ball. That's our new favorite. <laughs> um, and then after recreation, we'll chant vespers together and then have some time for spiritual reading and then dinner. 
And after dinner dishes, we'll have Compline that we'll chant together. And then we'll just have free time before we retire at night. So the only thing that differs for the sisters in formation is that, or, and the sisters in the apostolate, is that uh, the sisters in the apostolate after breakfast will head out for whatever work our Lord needs us to do in his vineyard that day. So for me right now, that is teaching. I'm music teacher and religion teacher for sixth and eighth grade, music teacher for kindergarten through sixth grade, and then religion teacher for sixth and eighth grade at our local uh, cathedral parish school. Uh, so that is a great blessing to be able to serve his little ones there and all of my spiritual children. <laughs> I recently had a question from a little first grader who's new to the school, who hasn't really interacted with sisters before. So she doesn't really know who I am or what I do. And so she, she has a question. So, so are you married? <laughs> do you have a husband? Do you have kids? And I was able to share with her. Yes, I do have a husband. And yes, I do have kids. Do you know who they are? And so they guessed and and they figured out that, yes, Jesus is my husband. And because he is my husband and all of you are his children, you're all of my children, too. So they got a big kick out of that. <laughs> I am their spiritual mother. Uh, so it is a great blessing. So we are in the apostolate uh, typically from after breakfast until Oh, between 2.33, whenever we get home from our various apostolates. During that time, we pray our rosary and, as schedule allows, pause during the middle of the day for an exam, praying the Angelus and uh, for lunch. So we, we sanctify our day through praying the rosary throughout the day if we can't do it all, all at one time, and also just through that interaction with our spiritual children, those that we serve, and praying with them. We start every class with a prayer, end every class with a prayer. And so I'm able to sanctify the day and bring our Lord and our Lady's presence into them tangibly through that prayer, and also just through my witness there in the school. We have some sisters that do also work in the chancery offices, so they have similar hours, so they will leave after breakfast and come home um, in the afternoon, at which time we have, depending on when we get home, a few minutes to catch up on things here in the convent before 4.15 recreation, where we join all together, as Sister Anne had said, uh, for recreation, to be with our sisters and share little things of our day, the joys that God has given us uh, throughout the day, and to uh, relax in him and with our sisters in order to be rejuvenated for the next day. And, uh, and then together our day ends with him as we say goodnight to him and enter into what's called grand silence. So that starts at 9 p.m. And this is the time of we do not talk to anyone after that time. We don't talk to each other. We're off of the computer. We don't look at the, our phones if we have them. We don't do anything else except what would unite us with the beloved at that time. And then uh, we are in bed by 10 o'clock and ready to rest in him until the next morning at five. It's like a full day for each of you. The way you are living, as you have been inspired by the Marian sisters you had seen in your 
Sister Margaret Mary in in your parish as growing up and Sister Anne when you found them on Facebook. I love that. Something about the way they were living was enticing to you. You're doing the same. And I, I think this is going to be such a gift to our listeners and an inspiration to them if they're not familiar with your order. So are your students, does it ever come up that you were homeschooled? Are people surprised to find that out? It, it is sometimes is a surprise to someone. So I recently was talking with a mom who was new to the school. And so I was meeting her and she, you know, she was finding the used uniforms in the closet, which happens to be in the music room. So I get to see mm-hmm. when parents come in there. And we were chatting a little bit and she said, oh, where did you go to school? Oh, I was homeschooled. Kind of gave her pause and she didn't really know what to think about that. <laughs> And, you know, for a lot of people, it doesn't phase them. It's kind of a natural thing that, oh, of course, a sister would be homeschooled. But not, of course, because there are many of our sisters who don't come from homeschooled backgrounds. Uh, But for some people, it is a surprise, especially to see a homeschooler now teaching in a school. It's rather surprising to me, actually. what our Lord asks of you um, and once you give your life to him. But uh, it's it's always a blessing because I'm able to share, if they ask, how that has influenced me and enabled me to really serve our Lord. I use it, Sarah. Does it come up much that you're homeschooled? When I was still in the world, it was interesting how the situation played a role. I'm a very active person. And so when I was playing sports or doing something like that, and or just talking to someone and having really good conversation, if someone learned I was homeschooled, they would be surprised. What? You're homeschooled? And do you know how to play ultimate frisbee? <laughs> um, so sometimes I'll get some of those responses. But one thing I noticed when, even when I was a teenager, and I went to driver's ed. I had a bunch of people put together in one room, but my driver's ed instructor really noticed me. He would tell me, there's something different about you. You listen. <laughs> like you actually comprehend and look at me when I'm speaking. <laughs> and and so he's he wasn't surprised here I'm homeschooled or or just when when I've been at various situations with musical collaborations and some of these older ladies would go up to me and 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 they would ask were you homeschooled and (laughs) I said yes and and they said oh I can tell like the way you pay attention and and are attentive and just you know composed and (laughs) mature and I'm like oh well thank you (laughs) but so it's it's kind of funny to to look back and see how how those different situations played in on how people reacted when they found out. But overall, it's becoming a lot more common now. And I haven't seen many shocked faces when when people found out. Those are fun stories. In a previous episode of the Colby Cast, Deborah Bayarski was giving us a preview of Vocations Week that we are celebrating this week. And he mentioned hearing from you and hearing a fun story about some notes left in some books. Can you tell us a story? (laughs) Yes. Um, Apparently the story is going around. But when I was in high school, 
in Colby, there is a lot of reading. I remember in the beginning of the year, I would stack up all my books and they would almost be as tall as me and I'd sigh. <laughs> like, oh boy. <laughs> no, it was great. So I would be reading through all these books. I think it was especially in my medieval year. And reading just all the drama of, of the medieval times and all these kings. And I would sometimes get a little bored. <laughs> and so I would sometimes think about, you know, in four years, because I have a brother who's four years younger than me. We're, we're very close. And, and I would think in four years, James will be reading this exact same thing. And at that time, I'll be forget how old I calculated I'd be and he'd be this old. And I just thought that was pretty cool. So I would sometimes write little notes <laughs> to the side in, in the in the margins of, of these books. Or sometimes I'd make like comments on what was being told. And I just I just thought it was really hilarious and I enjoyed myself and I didn't tell him. I did not tell him. And I said, I will wait for the outcome. So the years went by and I kind of forgot about it. But when I was talking to him and I realized, oh, James is at that point and I'm sure I wrote something, I wrote some of the notes, he must have reached them. So I asked him about it, like, oh, did you see some of my notes? <laughs> and he said, you know, teenage boy, yeah, they were stupid. <laughs> Oh and I was crushed. James, no. Oh. Aren't they kind of cool? I wrote it back then. Just like, Anne. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think he probably enjoyed it a little bit and it probably made it a little less boring. He's he's much more intelligent than I, so he was probably much more into the reading and probably paying more attention, better student than I was. But I'm glad I wrote those little notes and it, it was one of the fun little things <laughs> that I had. Being able to be homeschooled with my brother, the same program, and reading the same things and getting the same education. So that is the story. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I can just imagine him encountering the first one being like, oh, she's what? <laughs> At the total surprise, like didn't even, probably didn't even see that coming. That, I love that. He's probably <laughs> rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe outwardly, but somewhere in there, I can, I can imagine he, he had to have some appreciation for that. Like, oh, she was thinking of me. Good point. That's neat. And if he didn't at the time, I'm sure he does now. Mm -hmm. Well, ladies, this has sure been a treat. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for the Colby listeners? I was thinking about if I had any words of wisdom, looking back on my education, and I definitely did not appreciate, fully appreciate what I was getting at the time because. There's no way around it. It is hard. <laughs> there are times when school took a lot of time. It took a lot of time. And it wasn't always easy. But looking back, I can realize now and see what a gift it was and how important that formation was. And I think the best way, the easiest way, the most productive way and just 
using your time well, but going through those years is thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Do not do it for the grade. Do not do it for your teacher, not even for your parents. I mean, you should do it you know, out of love for your parents, but, but there's something more than that. It is so important for yourself. It is for yourself. So if you nurture a desire to learn and to have this, it will be so much easier. But most importantly, do it out of love for God. In his great wisdom has given this to you. One out of how many hundreds and thousands of people, of students, are getting education, some better than others. Um, there's, there's other very good educations, but it's very, very, very rare. And so he has put this into your life. And the best thing to do is embrace it. Embrace it and love it and desire to learn. And that will make everything so much easier. And you will see the fruit, maybe not this year or next year, maybe not even in five years, but for the rest of your life, it will make a difference. So, so yes, so just embrace it <laughs> with your heart and, and give it, give it your best. Following on that, I thought, well, any parting words of wisdom? Well, they would all come from Our Lady's seat of wisdom. So that would be my advice is, you know, give yourself to Our Lady um, and really ask her who is the seat of wisdom. She is the one who taught Jesus how to read. She taught him how to speak. And so take her as your teacher, her as your model, um, consecrate yourself to her. And in a special way, she will help you find your vocation. That's something that the sisters told me when I first encountered them here in Santa Rosa, is that Our Lady will ensure that you find your vocation if you are dedicated to her. So give yourself to Our Lady and whatever path God's le God leads you on, whether that is through um, homeschooling, which is such a wonderful path, or through any other way, um, God will, will lead you and Our Lady will help you find what will give you the greatest happiness and fulfillment in this world and eternal life in the next? Words to take to heart and, and really ponder and, and cultivate. Thank you. And, and coming from you with the, that sparkle in your tone, each of you, I think it will resonate with our listeners in a special way. So thank you. You're very welcome. We're happy to join you. It's been a delight. Thank you so much, Sister Margaret Mary and Sister Anne. We will be keeping you top of mind in prayer. So grateful for this time that you have spent with us and all the wisdom and beauty you have shared with us. Yeah, take care. Thank you. We'll see you. Thank you. Thank you.